Now this weekend, uh, we've come to the last week in our series, Origin Story. Uh, it's a series based on the Pentateuch. That sounds so spiritual. But we've learned it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We've had a couple of goals in this series that we could understand the origin story, see how it flows, see how the five books fit together. But then also, I wanted us to see how this lays the foundation for so much we believe, so much that represents our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now we finally come to the book of Deuteronomy, the end of the series, and I just want to begin by saying there are just certain times, certain junctures in our life when we are going through a transition, a transitional period, and it's just wise for us before we make that decision, before we turn right, turn left, go straight, to pull off and get some good, sound biblical advice, some good, sound, godly counseling. One of those times has to do with your career. Maybe you're thinking about relocating, taking a promotion, maybe changing careers. And it's so important that at that time, it's a huge transition. You need to get wise advice, wise counsel. I cannot tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, hey, it's our last week. And I'm like, man, what's going on? Got a promotion, but I got to move to Cincinnati. I got to move here. I got to move there. And I'm like, well, well, you've prayed about it, right? I mean, I'm sure you've gotten some counseling. And they're like, well, what's there to pray about? I mean, it's a promotion. You got to take it. It's a promotion. Like we always assume if it's a promotion, it must be from God, right? But I cannot tell you how many times that's happened. And many times within a year, I've gotten an email, I've gotten a phone call and they say, Mike, you would not believe the disaster this has been. Our family is unraveling. Our marriage is on the rocks. This job isn't nothing like I thought it was going to be. And they're thinking, man, I wish I would have taken some time to talk this through, to get some counseling. Another one of those uh, experiences is when we're getting ready to get married. And let me just tell you, I think it is dumb to get married without counseling. Okay, okay. <laughs> and a whole lot of counseling. I'm telling you, very few of us are, are ready to make the transition from being single to getting married. Uh, one time I had a young lady come up to me and she saw me under the portico and I knew that was, they were young and in love and they'd just gotten married. And I said, hey, where's your hubby? And I could see the look on her face. She says, we're separated right now. I don't think we're gonna make it. And I'm like, what's going on? It's been like six months. And she began to talk about some issues that surfaced in his life. And I'm like, well, I, yeah, those are issues, but you know what, hey, you, you, know, you took him for better, for worse, right? And she's, yeah, but he's worse than I took him for. You know, and, so, <laughs> and that's true. I mean, we find that out when we get married and, and, and rarely are we ready to make that uh, transition from being single to being married. Another time would be after a tragic loss. Another time would be after a divorce. Instead of just going right out when your divorce is final and having a dinner date, you know, you probably should get some counseling and advice. What happened? Where, where did it go south? What was my role in it? What did I learn from it? What do I now know about choosing a life partner? There's a lot of places these transitions. But what's true of all of those transitions in our life, you would also say is true of the book of Deuteronomy. It's a book of counsel. It's a book of advice given to a group of people who are getting ready to make a great transition in their life. If you've been here, you know these books, they're addressed to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, they're getting ready to experience something they've never experienced before. I mean, think about this. As a nation of people, they spent 430 years as slaves in Egypt. Moses came along through God's power, led them, the Exodus, they were freed. 
But yet they ended up then spending the next 40 years wandering around in the desert. So it's been 470, 475 years. They haven't had a home, but now they're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. Now they're getting ready to settle down. Now they're getting ready to experience real freedom for the first time in their life. You know, they're wearing t-shirts and caps that say life is good, right? They're going to have leisure time. They're going to get their kids in soccer leagues. They're going to get them on the swim team. They're going to play golf. I mean, they got leisure time. They make their own choices and decisions. The problem is the land of the Canaanites is full of bad people. I mean, we're talking immoral people, unbelieving people, corrupt people, degenerate people. Sounds to me a lot like Chapel Hill. I don't know if that's the case, but it probably is the case, right? And so God says to these people, before you go in, listen, you are my people and I'm expecting you to be different regardless of what everybody else is doing. I don't ever want to hear from you, but everybody else is doing it. I don't care what everybody else is doing. It. God says, I understand that when you go into the land, you're going to be surrounded by a whole new lifestyle. And there are going to be these foreign women and they're going to be so pretty. And there's going to be these foreign men and they're going to be so handsome. And your heart's going to fall for them. And you're going to follow them home and you're going to go into their house and you're going to look up on their mantle and they're going to have an idol. They're going to have a shrine to a different God. And you're going to realize they have a different belief system. And they're going to try to tell you on their different value system. But God says, I'm warning you right now. Don't compromise. Don't sell out. Don't change. And so right before they go in, God pulls them aside. And through Moses, he gives them some advice to help them with this transition. Let's just get some introduction, some basic information about the book. What does Deuteronomy mean? Again, it's a Greek word. It goes back to 250 BC when a group of guys, 70 guys, translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek because it was the language of the day. And so when they got to the fifth book of the Bible, they gave it a Greek name. They named it Deuteronomy. Deuteros means second. Nomos means law. You put them together. Deuteronomy means second law. But it's not a meaningless repetition of the same law. It means a summary. It's a reminder. It's a repeating of the law because they're getting ready to go into this land. And God knows that they're going to be tempted to quickly forget what they've been taught up to this point. Plus, life's going to get easier because they're going to run the Canaanites and, and all the other ice, the termites. They're going to run them out of the land. And they're going to get to move and live into their houses that they didn't build. They're going to get to eat from gardens and vineyards that they didn't have to plant. I mean, it's going to be good. On top of that, they're going to experience all of these new temptations that they've never had to worry about because they've even been in the wilderness or they've been slaves, right? And so God says, you need to be reminded one more time before you go in. It's kind of like you ever been invited over uh, to somebody's house for dinner and you got young kids. And so right before you pull on their block, you pull over and you turn around and look at them and say, you better not embarrass me. Right, you ever done that? I'm telling you, you take off your shoes. You say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. If they put it on your plate, you eat it. You say, thank you. You better not embarrass this family, right? That's what God's saying. I'm gonna give you one last warning before we go into the land. What's the location? It's important because it says in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse one, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Verse five, east of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law saying, so they're in the land of Moab. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. Those of us who were just in Israel, we actually saw there's a monument there where they say this is where it took place. I don't know, but they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. They're getting ready to invade and conquer the land of Canaan. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is this significant? Well, the location is significant because guess what? They've been there before. See, this is where they made it to last week when we looked at the book of Numbers. This is where they got, this is where they sent in the spies. This is where the spies came back and said, hey, we can take it, two of them, 
10 of them said, are you kidding? They're giants, they'll kill us. And they decided not to go in and it was disastrous. And now they're right back where they stood 38 years earlier. Well, what's the purpose of the book? is to encourage Israel's obedience and loyalty to God. In fact, the key section for the entire book is in chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, he's saying this. My word is to mark your life. My word is to mark the lives of your children. It's to mark your homes. It's to mark every aspect of your life. God's word, my word, is to be your guide for life. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Moses emphasizes this so much? It's because, see, he knows they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into a land where that's not the case. It's not the case. By the way, some of you can relate to this. Some of you experienced this when you went off to college. You know, maybe you were fortunate. You grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, maybe even homeschooled. Maybe you were a part of young life. And then you went off to college and you walked on that campus. And all of a sudden, you were exposed to a lifestyle that was completely foreign to the way you were raised. All of a sudden, there's a whole new way of life, a whole new vocabulary. There's a whole new value system. There's a whole new way of thinking, and you weren't ready for it. I mean, it just kind of rose up and punched you in the throat. You didn't know what you had gotten into, right? Well, we find these Hebrew people in their very, very similar situation. So Moses' goal here is just to prepare them for what they're getting ready to face. Now, there are three things that Moses wants to make sure these people remember. And this will help you as you're studying the book of Deuteronomy. First of all, he says, you need to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. And that's kind of covered in the first four chapters. You need to remember how God has been faithful in the past. By the way, it's really, really important that we see this moment standing at the Jordan River the way Israel saw this moment. Because understand, this is a bad memory. I mean, they had stood right on the edge of Canaan 38 years earlier They've heard God say, the land is yours. I'm going to give it to you. Go for it. Go take it. But they didn't go take it. They balked. They didn't trust God. And the result we saw last week was disastrous. It's a bad memory. By the way, let me just say this. There are times in our lives where God will bring back a bad memory. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes memory is an incredible thing, right? Sometimes memory is a horrible thing. Because every one of us, as we sit here this weekend, including me, Every one of us, we have memories that we wish we could forget. But you know what? God will not let us forget them. Do you know why? It's because he wants to remember the days in the wilderness. In fact, if nothing else, then just to serve as a motivation that you don't want to go back there. To serve as a motivation. Yeah, you, you don't want to make that mistake again. So God will bring that memory back to our mind. That's what Moses is doing with the people. He's saying, don't forget your parents were right here. Your ancestors were right here 38 years ago. And we're back. But we're not back because of anything we've done. We're back because God is faithful. And so for the next few chapters, chapters one through four, Moses kind of retraces that experience. And he says, you need to remember two things. First of all, he says, you need to remember the faithfulness of God in spite of your failures. And then he says, you need to remember the faithfulness of God in spite of your unfaithfulness. By the way, let's be honest. When we look back over our lives, every one of us, we can all see times of failure and we can all see 
times of unfaithfulness to God. That's true of me also. But this is what's interesting. No matter how colossal the failure, no matter how much our unfaithfulness, this is what you need to understand. God never left us. You ever thought about that? He never left us. Oh, he disciplined us. Just like you discipline your child when they run out into the street. Because you want them to know they can't do that. Because if they do that, bad things are going to happen. So you discipline. No good parent says, oh, you're so cute. Let me give you a little snuggly. You're so cute when you run out. No, that's not a good parent. A good parent disciplines. If you're really a good parent, you spank them. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But a good parent disciplines their children, right? He scarred us. He scarred us so that we would never forget what we did, but he never leaves us. See, he just faithfully stands by us. You know what I've learned as I've gotten older? One of the great motivators for living obediently today is a reminder of the days when I didn't and the consequences that followed. So he says, hey, remember the faithfulness of God in spite of your failures. Remember the faithfulness of God in spite of your unfaithfulness. And then when you get to chapter five, it's the next section of the book and the theme changes. Now Moses says, remember the holiness of God today. This is the present. Remember that God is a holy God. So in chapters five through 26, the emphasis is not on the faithfulness of God. It's on the holiness of God. It's, it's on the purity of God. And Moses says, again, you're right where you were 38 years ago. You're getting ready to go into the land. Don't forget that God is holy. In fact, let's rehearse a few things. And so when you get to chapter five, you know what Moses does? He reminds them of the 10 commandments. He says, let's go over them again. It's the second law, Deuteronomy. It's the second law. He gives them the exact same commandments that he gave them the first time in Exodus chapter 20. Moses says, now that we're back where we started, hey, hey, let's remember what God said. Let's go through them. Let's recite them together, right? And I can pretty much summarize these verses by giving you three principles that Moses talks about. And these are timeless principles. Here's the first ones. Blessings accompany obedience. Blessings accompany obedience. When you obey God, blessings follow. I like to describe it this way. Think, think of a circle and God says, okay, inside these circles, these are my plans. These are my truths. These are my principles. These are my precepts. This is my guideline for life. And if you live within the circle, you've positioned yourself to be blessable. So God said, this is what I want you to do. When you get married, I want you to follow my guidelines. I want you to operate within the circle about who you marry. Don't be unequally yoked together. You should, you should get some wise counseling. You should look into my word. Not only that, how you operate in your marriage. I want you to stay within the circle. How you operate as a parent. By the way, if you think you're a godly parent, but church is way down here on the totem pole and the religious life, but getting them to swim meet and getting them on soccer practice and making sure they go to gymnastics, that takes a higher priority then you raising them to be followers of Jesus Christ, pulling back the arrow, training them up in the way they should go. That's what it means, letting them go toward the target. I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're outside the circle. God says you need to get inside that circle. When it comes to our relationship, this is what God says. You want to be in the circle? Love as I've loved you. Forgive as I forgave you. Accept as I accepted you. Operate within the circle. And when you do that, blessings always accompany obedience. Second, compromises weaken distinctives. In other words, as Christians, when God gives us a standard and we're faced with the temptation to compromise, if we compromise, understand our distinctiveness, our uniqueness as a child of God, as a Christian, is going to be weakened. 
I'll just give you a practical example. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. This is old school. Nobody reads this stuff anymore. It says, do not be drunk on wine. And some of you are like, whew, I'm so glad it didn't say vodka. I am so glad it didn't say gin. You know, I am so glad it didn't say bourbon, right? It says wine. I don't even like wine. You know what it's saying. It's saying as a Christian, don't get drunk. Now, I grew up, you couldn't drink. Now, it doesn't say that. It says, don't get drunk. By the way, how can you tell the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist in the ABC store? The Methodist will say hi to you. Not the Baptists. See, they're like this. Y'all know, you didn't see me here, right? That'll sink in about three tomorrow afternoon. You guys will laugh. You'll think, no, that was funny. But anyway. But here's the thing. He said, don't get drunk. I mean, if you're at the neighborhood pool, all over, can't put two words together, making an idiot of yourself, or you're at the neighborhood party, or you're at the Christmas party at work, and you, 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 know, you can't even get a sentence out, and everybody's kind of laughing at you because you're so wasted. Hey, wait about three weeks from then, and you want to share the gospel with them because they got a crisis in their life. Or you want to invite them to church. Or you want to give them a verse from the Bible because of what they're going through in their marriage. They're going to think, you're the biggest idiot in the world. you got bigger issues than I do. Do you know why? You compromise. Your distinctives will always be weakened. And then here's the third one. Consequences follow disobedience. And you can see all of these things illustrated when you get to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 13, it says this. If you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then, conditional clause, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine, olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Just so you know, that's a blessing. God says, if you do this, I will bless you. Chapter 11, verse 16, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. So that's a warning, don't compromise. And I think he's telling them this. I'm telling, I think he's telling them to watch out because I want them to understand once they entertain the idea, once they, once they decide that maybe, maybe I could do something like that and it's not that big a deal, they're gonna fall. They're gonna fall. What's the old saying? Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap your character. Sow your character, reap your destiny. Where does it begin? Thought. Maybe it's a possibility, right? And then the consequences are in chapter 11, verse 17. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. What's he saying? Consequences follow disobedience. And again, this is probably a good place to stop and try to apply some of this. But we really do live in a world system. We're surrounded by a world system. It is the system that we live in. And you can sum it up with four words, fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Get rich quick. Get all you can, can all you get. Don't tithe, don't give, hoard. Keep it for yourself. Fame, make a name for yourself. Doesn't matter what it costs you. Doesn't matter how much you have to compromise. Doesn't matter if you have to sell out, make a name for yourself. With that, get control over people, that's power. And then pleasure. I mean, you got the resources, you got the power. You got the leisure time. If it feels good, do it. Be like Solomon. Be like the book of Ecclesiastes, right? And the system that we live in is set up in such a way that we almost cannot help but conform to it. But the real danger is that it can occur without us even realizing it. So God says this, as you live in that system, I'm not going to take you out of the system. I don't want you to isolate yourself from the system. I do want to insulate you in the system. So the way you insulate yourself in the system and live within the system is you don't forget me. Let my word mark every aspect 
of your life. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of us could honestly say that the principles, the values that we base our life on, we live our life based, how many of us could say they're from the Bible? I mean, be honest. How many of us could really say, you know what, the Bible's my guide for life? When I got a situation going on, I don't go to Dr. Spock, I don't go, re, I don't go to Dr. Phil, I don't do any, I, I, I say, what does the Bible have to say about this situation? Now, let me tell you something. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys this weekend. Most Christians, we've lost our distinctiveness. We've lost what makes us unique. I know this sounds old school and it's okay. Most of us, we can't, you can't tell us any, you can't tell there's any difference in our lives than those of us that we live around who weren't followers of Jesus Christ. When we talk the talk, oh, I'm a Christian. But they look at us and they realize we don't walk the walk, see? And so we've lost our distinctiveness, which means because we lost our distinctiveness, we've lost our influence. We've lost our ability to be light in a dark world. And so now, with the blunt of every joke, the idiot in every sitcom, because we lost our distinctiveness. Say for years, we wanted to be distinct for the wrong reasons. I don't go to movies, I don't drink beer, I don't dance, I don't do this. That, that's not what God said. You know what makes us distinct as Christians? It hit me this week. Love your, as you love one another, people will know that you're my disciples. Not that you go to church, carry a Bible, have a fish on your car. You know what the other one is? John 17, unity. That's what he prayed for. John 17, 20 and 21. May they be unified, Father, the way we're unified so the world will look at them and say, wow, Jesus must have come from the Father. There's no other way that you can explain this. We've lost our distinctiveness. Now, before the book closes, Moses tells them, he says, now, you're getting ready to go in the land. Remember God's warning in the future. And I want to summarize these last several chapters by, by just having you look at a couple of sections because in, Mo, in chapter 28, Moses reminds the people of two things. He says, the land is yours, possess it. And then second, he says, the Lord is God, obey him. Look at chapter 28, verse one. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord, conditional statement, if the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. Now look at this. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your baskets and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. It's a Hebrew colloquialism for this. You're gonna experience a life of prosperity. God says, I promise to bless you. I promise to make you prosperous if you walk with me. Now be careful, and I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying, when I say prosperity, I'm not talking, everybody says, oh money, we're gonna be, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about prosperous in the riches and the blessings of God. It may mean that your children are gonna be obedient. It may mean that your marriage is gonna be strong. It may mean that God's gonna give you good health, but what God's saying here, if you put me first and if you obey me, I got you back. I got you back. And then he says in chapter 28, verse 15, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. 
the crops of your land, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. What it's saying is this, you're gonna live a life marked by the discipline of God. Now, let me just tell you something. People come up to me and say, Mike, I don't understand. I'm a Christian, I accepted Jesus, you know? But my life never changes, it's still the big mess. My marriage is a mess, my finances are a mess, my kids are a mess. My life never changes. Why is it my life changing? And this is what I tell them. Your life never changes because your life never changes. And they look at me like, what? I said, that's profound. Your life never changes because your life never changes. Yeah, you accept that God's free gift of salvation, but you haven't joined God in the project. We looked at it, the project, the process last week. Remember the project he takes on? Romans 8, 29, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You haven't joined him on that project. Your, your life's not being transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans chapter 12. We talked, we did a whole series on that. You gotta identify the lies that you've lived your life by before Christ, remove them and replace them with the truth of God's word. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, when you do that, oh wow, the truth has set you free. We're on a whole different course, right? And who the son sets free is free indeed. So your life has never changed because your life has never changed. Donnie Dar, here's our care pastor. He always says, if you, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. That's what he's saying. See, this is the problem with many of us who are Christians. We want the God life within the circle, but we want it our way. Let me say it another way. We want God's blessings, but we want it on our terms. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. And the only way your life's gonna change is when you begin to change how you live your life. And how you live your life means that you're bringing it into alignment within the circle, okay, of God's word. Without a doubt, hands down, one of the most difficult parts of my job is dealing with Christians who just choose to willfully disobey God. God, I know what you say about this whole financial thing that we're supposed to set aside 10% and give to you, but you know what, God, I, my, I, I just got things I wanna do. I wanna go to the beach, I want my kids to do things, and I wanna get a motorcycle, and I can't do all this thing and give you 10%, so God, I'm gonna color outside the lines a little bit, right? Or God, I know that you said sex is only set up for a husband and wife in the confines of a marriage relationship. I get that, but God, you know what? That's so old school. Nobody really lives that way anymore. So God, I'm gonna choose on this one not to do that, but God, I know I want you to have my back now. I don't want you to get me pregnant. And I certainly don't want any STDs. So God, I'm praying, I'm, bless me. Can you imagine what God must be thinking? <laughs> Dummy, you know? But see, that's, 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 that's the way we do it, right? This, this is what we're saying. I'm smarter than God on this one. I'm smarter than God. I, I got a better inside track. I'm promising, let me tell you something. I promise you this. The misery that God can bring into the life of a Christian who willingly chooses to be disobedient defies description. Take my word on it. I've seen it. That's why Proverbs 13, 15 says this, good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful leads to destruction. I like the old King James better. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. And let's be honest, that describes some of your life. It's just hard. Do you know why? Your life hasn't changed because the way you live your life hasn't changed. You haven't brought it in alignment with God's word. 
Well, the book of Deuteronomy, it can be summed up in God's word to us today. You see it in chapter 30, verse 15. See, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. So God says, you got an option. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then, conditional, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, you're like, I would never do that. Fortune, fame, power, pleasure, maybe, right? If you do that, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you. Here they are, life and death. And I think for the Christian under the new covenant that we keep talking about, it would be a death-like existence. Paul talks about the wages of sin is death. It's true physically, but I think in the context, Paul's talking to Christians there. He's saying the wages of sin is a death-like existence. It's as if God's not even working and alive in your life. Life and death, blessings and curses. In other words, you get to make the choice. Even as a Christian, you get to make the choice. But isn't that the way it always is? Life and death, blessings and curse. You make good choices, you bring your life into alignment with God's word, good things happen. You make bad choices, you choose to go out the circle and have do it your own way, bad things happen. Let me give you a couple of ways in closing that you can bring your life into alignment, practical things you can do to see your life begin to change. Let me just say this. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. It's a big part of who we are at Hope. Small group's just a group of Christians, sometimes not even Christians. Maybe they're on the journey. They're just asking questions and kicking the tires. But it's a group of people who get together to study God's word and love each other and do stuff in the community together and have fun together. But the beauty of it is somebody in that small group will be a little further on the journey than you are. And so you get to say, hey, can I have coffee with you? Because this whole tithing and financial thing, you guys sound like you've got it down. How did you get there? How did you get that kind of faith? Are you serving? I noticed you're serving Kid City or you do this. I mean, how do you find time to do that kind of stuff? What did you, what did you reorganize in your life? Or I just noticed as a, as a married couple, you guys seem to relate the way I would love to relate to my spouse. And see, they can help you along. There's accountability, there's iron sharpening iron. Now here's the downside to a small group. It's easy to hide. See, a lot of women go to small groups and, and you sit there. And if you choose to do that, it's not going to be much benefit to you, okay? But it's there. There's accountability. There's a safety. But I think the best way, the best way that you can make the right kinds of decisions and choices in life, the best way you can bring your life into the alignment with the Word of God is by having a personal board of directors in your life. Maybe you've always wanted to be a big shot and have a board of directors. Let me tell you how to have a personal board of directors in your life. Let me tell you why it's so important, a couple of reasons. First of all, having a board of directors keeps us from just stumbling through life. Keeps us from running into walls, keeps us from hitting the potholes, getting off the road, getting into the deep weeds. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 15, 31, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. So I don't know anybody, no one's ever said, you know, Mike, you know, my goal is, it's just to stumble through life. It's just to claw and grind it out, man. No, we wanna walk cleanly through. Sometimes we even wanna run, but we won't be able to do that. Solomon says, if we surround ourselves with Fools. They're going to cause you to stumble. They're going to cause you to fall. They're going to cause you to get off course. But a personal board of directors helps us 
by speaking the truth to us in love. Hey, come on, don't make that decision. Let me tell you why that's not wise. Here's the second thing. Having a board of directors helps us make the right decisions. Look what it says, Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I'll give you an example. Every once in a while while I'm driving, and especially if there's a lot of traffic and I need to change lanes, you know, there's just lots going on. And especially when we used to live in California, I'll say, hey, honey, can, can I get over? Is the lane clear? And she'll turn and look over and she'll say, yeah, you can get over. What am I doing? I'm saying, honey, right now I got a blind spot. I got a blind spot. I need you to check it out for me. Now, let me just tell you something. We all have blind spots. And if we're wise, we're going to have people in our lives that will help us watch out for those blind spots. See, recently, uh, uh, actually a while back, a year or so ago, I had a couple of elders that met with me and they, they shared with me what they thought was a blind spot in my life. Honestly, I didn't see it. It's a blind spot, right? And I wasn't even sure it was accurate. But I'll tell you what I do. The, I did the minute that meeting was over. I went to Gary Vett's office. And then I went to Palmer's office, who's next to Gary, who's our COO. He's been around here forever with me. And then I went to Patty, my admin. And then I called my wife at home. And then I called one of the elders who's known me for a long time. And I said, a couple of the guys said that this is a blind spot. And I'm not even sure what it looks like. I don't know. But I said, if I'm ever in a meeting, if you're ever around me, if we're in a conversation, if we're out in public, wherever we are, and if there's something that comes out of my mouth, something that comes out of my actions, that's that blind spot, would you tell me? Please tell me. Point it out. So that's what they're talking about, Mike. See, that's what I'm talking about. We got to have those kind of people around us who we trust to speak the truth to us in love because we know it's coming from a place of love. I tell you what, when Gary Vett comes in my office and shuts the door, I know he's going to speak to me and what he's going to tell me is going to be truth and I know that it's going to come from a place of love and you know what? I heed his advice every time. That's just wisdom. See, I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that. That's why it says Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know what it means? An enemy will tell you whatever you want to hear. But someone who really loves you will speak the truth in love. So this limits accountability to, to a few trusted, loyal friends. I'm talking about people who have the opportunity. You give them the freedom to walk into the depth. You give them the freedom to walk into the recesses of your life. So based on those thoughts, let me ask you just a few questions in closing. Can you name a person outside your family from whom you receive wise counsel? Can you name one? If you can't, good for you. If you can't, you should start praying, God, bring those kinds of people into my life. It would be a great thing to pray about it in the prayer vigil. And by the way, here's some qualifications for the kind of people that you should be looking for. And it probably won't shock you. They're straight from the Bible. Here's the first one. They should be a Christian. They should be a Christ follower. Amos said in 3.3, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? See, you want to make sure their priorities match the priorities of God. Their value system matches the value system of God. See, that's where you want to go. That's where you want to get. So you need to get somebody who can help you get there. You have to agree on these things. Second, they should be an encourager. Third, they must be able to keep a secret. You have to feel like I can share anything with them in confidence and it's going to stay between us. And then they just need to be the same sex as you. You don't want to go deeper in life with people that are of the opposite sex. That's not going to end well. It never, especially if you're married, you're just an idiot. I mean, that's never, never going to end well. But if you really want this to be practical and work, you need to find someone of the same sex as you. Those are four qualities of someone that you can and should seek wise counsel from. Here's the second question. 
Are you aware of the dangers of no accountability? Are you aware of just going through the dangers of just going through life, making decisions solo, you know, with your blind spots, right? Are you aware of hearing the wrong things from the wrong people? Let me tell you, ladies, if the only marriage advice you're getting is from all your bitter girlfriends who've been divorced, not going to end well. Guys, if the only marriage advice you're getting is from your drunk golf buddies, not going to end well. Are you aware of the dangers of no accountability? Third question. When was the last time you talked to someone about the private areas of your life? When's the last time you ran, say, a sizable purchase by someone before maybe you bought a car, a house, a boat, or whatever? What I'm really talking about here is accountability, and I'll just tell you, this isn't for the lightweights, okay? This is for the people who are saying, man, I am getting serious about following Jesus. I'm getting serious about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm getting serious about my life being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm getting serious about bringing my life into alignment with God's word so that I have now positioned myself to be blessable. Accountability. Is there somebody in your life who knows what you really struggle with? That the real reason you don't give is because you're just greedy. Or that you're a control freak or that you, have, you struggle with lust or you have some kind of addiction. See, accountability just forces us to go a little deeper with a few people, get below the surface. But I'll just tell you about accountability, and I've learned this the hard way. Holding people accountable is only going to be as effective as your willingness to be honest and transparent. And if you're not there, don't even waste somebody's time, right? But as we do that, we will become the kind of people that God wants us to become. See what's hanging in the balance? Life and death. Blessings and curse. And I'll just say this in closing. Right now, if you're resisting this idea, like this guy's an idiot, there's no way I'm going to do that. I don't need to do that. It's a couple of things going on. One, it could just be pride. You may just have a stronghold of pride in your life. I'm not going to be accountable to anybody. Well, that's, that's probably a spiritual warfare issue. The pride of life. We talked about it. We talked about it earlier this year when we talked about battle tests in our spiritual warfare series. The other one is you just have something in your life you don't want to bring into the light. You want to keep it in darkness. See? And your life's never going to change. And you know what I know? Eventually it'll come into the light. It takes a village. Especially if you're like me, I'm a village idiot. I mean, it takes a big, big village. But it's, see, Christianity is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. If you want your life to change, how you live your life has to change. I can't make it any simpler than that. Here's the question you'll have to address. This is what it always comes down to. Will I be happier living the life that God has called me to than I will be living the life I want to live? And what it really comes down to is, can I trust God? but you better figure it out. See, it's the difference between life and death, blessings and curse, blessing and curse. Let's bow together. You know what breaks my heart? I'll just tell you before I pray. Some of you are gonna totally ignore this. You're just gonna totally ignore it. It'll roll right off your back. You're gonna walk right out here. You're gonna do the same old things you've always done. And nothing's gonna change, but I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. Eventually, you're gonna implode. Eventually implode. But I'm going to tell you, when you do, we're going to be right here. And we're going to love you where you are. 
and we're gonna help you pick up the pieces and we're gonna help you move in the right direction, but I'll tell you what we can't do. We won't be able to take away the scars. God will leave the scars. He'll leave the scars. I'm saying avoid the scars. Just deal with it. Let's pray together. Father, you're an awesome God. And I know this is not some kind of make everybody feel good kind of weekend, but neither is the book of Deuteronomy. So I just pray that I pray people just deal with what needs to be dealt with, that they'll just, they'll bring things into the light. They'll find one person in their life they trust, someone they admire, someone they know that's getting up every day trying to live the God life the way it was designed to live and chat with them and talk with them. And it doesn't have to be me and it doesn't have to be a pastor. In fact, it's probably better if it's just a good friend. But Father, we need to bring our life in alignment with your word. May it be our playbook. And may we decide for me and my house, as Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. Drawing the line in the sand today from here on out. And as we love to say here at Hope, it's never too late to start doing what's right. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It's going to talk about the world behind me, the cross before me, but from here on out. And let's make this our declaration of commitment to Jesus Christ. What we've learned, let's put it in the process, and let's celebrate what God is going to do in and through all of our lives. Let's sing it together. Don't leave. we got snipers on the roof. Stay right here. Let's sing it together.